Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, uh, welcoming you once again to a discussion about ministry leadership and practical aspects of what it means to uh, lead churches and ministry organizations forward in the 21st century. Well, today uh, we'll take a little different detour than we normally do on the podcast and talk about Christmas and uh, come the closest thing that I'll probably ever come to preaching on the podcast because I want to talk about uh, what happens after Christmas. I hope your Christmas was a, a really meaningful celebration for you and your family. In our family, we do a lot of the traditional things that are a part of Christmas celebrations. We uh, spend days decorating the house with a Christmas tree and all the trimmings. Uh, we put out a lot of manger scenes. I think my wife's got more than a dozen of those, and she's collected them from different places in the world where we've traveled or from different missionaries that we've supported or who've befriended us over the years. We also uh, uh, attend Christmas programs and Christmas uh, plays. Uh, we go to things in the community and in our church. It's a really good celebration time for us. And of course, now with grandchildren, it's an opportunity to get together as family and uh, celebrate not only uh, Christmas as it means so much to us, but then to pass those traditions along to our children or through our children to our grandchildren and to see uh, the joy and the delight of Christmas come alive in their lives as well. So Christmas is a really special time for our family, and I hope it was a special time for yours. But a few years ago, I started reflecting on how much emphasis we put on Christmas and then wondered about, well, what happens right after Christmas? And so I went into the Bible and asked myself that question, what happened immediately after the birth of Jesus? And found out the Bible does tell that story, but uh, that part of the story is not as well known to most people, so I'm going to read some of it today and then talk with you from the Bible about what happened uh, in the life of Jesus after Christmas, after the day of his birth, and then what that means for us as we go forward in these next few days thinking about Christmas is over, uh, now what? Well, Christmas came and went, Jesus was born, and then in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, the story continues. The Bible says, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what is customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the, the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul and the thoughts of many hearts 
may be revealed. Well, in this first part of the story of what happened right after Christmas, we see that just like these biblical characters, after Christmas, we must fulfill our responsibilities to Jesus. Now notice what they did for him. First, in verse 21, Jesus had to be circumcised, and so his parents took him to the temple to accomplish that religious rite. This was both a religious and ceremonial obligation. It symbolized their inclusion in the Abrahamic covenant, and it was an important a moment of demarcation, if you will, in the life of Jesus as he was publicly presented uh, and, and dedicated to the Lord for his service. Another aspect of that responsibility that had to be fulfilled was Jesus had to be formally or officially named. And so it says in verse 21 that he was named Jesus, which was the name given him by the angel uh, at his conception or even before his conception. Jesus was uh, named as a result of angelic vision, but as a direct result of the intentionality of his parents to serve him by bringing him forward and formally and legally establishing his identity. And then Jesus was dedicated to God. He was taken to the temple and dedicated to the Lord, the Bible says. This was a ritual sacrifice that was offered. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons were required as an offering of dedication and gratitude to God. And so we see that after Jesus was born, a few days later, his parents fulfilled their continuing responsibilities to Jesus. He was circumcised. He was named, meaning his identity was established in public, both publicly and legally. And then he was dedicated to the Lord with offerings which demonstrated their gratitude to God and their uh, acknowledgement that God had brought this child into their lives. So after Christmas, the, the, the uh, people responsible to and for Jesus fulfilled their responsibilities to him. Now Christmas is a remarkable time of bringing focus to Jesus Christ. You know, over the years... Our family has enjoyed the little book, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. It's uh, been around a while now, and if you're not familiar with it, I would strongly encourage you to pick it up. It's a great story about the Herdman family, particularly the Herdman children, and how they intersected a Christmas pageant in a uh, Baptist church or in a local church and brought, very, brought new life to it. At the end of that story, uh, the, uh, the writer, who's uh, a child writing in the first person, uh, summarizes it this way. He says, I think no matter how she saw her, how she herself was, Imogene, that's the Herdman child who played Mary, liked the idea of Mary in the picture, all pink and white and pure looking, as if she never washed the dishes or cooked supper or did anything at all except have Jesus on Christmas Eve. But as far as I'm concerned, Mary is always going to look a lot like Imogene Herdman sort of nervous and bewildered, but ready to clobber anyone who laid a hand on her baby. And the wise men are always going to be Leroy and his brothers, bearing ham. And that's one interesting part of the story, the gifts they brought to Jesus. When we came out of the church that night, it was cold and clear, with crunchy snow underfoot and bright, bright stars overhead. And I thought about the angel of the Lord, Gladys, with her skinny legs and her dirty sneakers sticking out from under her robe, yelling at the top of her lungs to all of us everywhere, Hey, unto you a child is born. You know, that's what Christmas and the events of Christmas shout to us. Hey, unto you a child is born. 
And man, that is a very significant moment of Christmas celebration as we bring new and, uh, and important attention to Jesus as our Savior and Lord. But there has to be a moment that happens uh, as a part of the Christmas experience where we uh, convert our focus from Jesus as a baby in a manger who's come to deliver us to Jesus as a person that we serve and fulfill responsibilities to, even in his young years, his parents and others modeling this, for us to recognize that very soon the transition has to take place from focusing on Jesus to obedient action in response to Jesus. You know, it's a lot like we see around the seminary when young couples become engaged and then get married. We have a lot of younger students, of course, and so... Uh, engagements are an annual event at Gateway Seminary. And so when students uh, get engaged and they're in those intense courtship months right before uh, the wedding, that's really their full and, uh, full and undivided focus, the wedding. Uh, they're planning it, they're dreaming about it, they're talking about it, uh, they're building up to that crescendo moment. That's a great experience. But very quickly... They have, to, they have to come to grips with the reality that the wedding, for all its importance, is not really going to make the difference in the success of their relationship. What's really going to make the difference is can they convert the loving feelings they have which lead them to plan the wedding so intensely to loving action, to loving action that they do for one another that begin to unfold what a healthy and successful marriage is going to look like. You know, my wife and I have been married for 37 years. I think we would both say that the feelings uh, of our emotions have uh, calmed a bit over the years in terms of how we uh, feel our love toward one another. But the intensity of our love has not waned because now our love has been translated from those intense feelings that we once had to now intentional actions that really sustain our marriage over the years. Uh, we do things for one another. We serve one another. We demonstrate love to one another. We, by our actions and by fulfilling the responsibilities that we have to one another, and by going above and beyond those responsibilities, show the true love that we now have. So Jesus is the focus of Christmas, and that's a good thing. But very soon after Christmas, we have to shift our focus from the baby in the manger to the, Lord, to the Lord who demands our allegiance, our responsibility, and our service. Can I challenge you today as you begin the new year to fulfill your responsibility to Jesus in some key areas? First, fulfill your ministry responsibility to Jesus. Whatever he's assigned you to do, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a missionary, uh, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or a deacon, whether you're a person who leads a youth group or cares for a family member uh, in need, whatever it is that you feel like is your primary means of Christian service and devotion, pour your whole heart into that as you begin this next new year. Fulfill your ministry responsibility to Jesus. And then uh, fulfill your family responsibilities to him as well. Uh, Jesus wants you to uh, model your commitment to him first and foremost in your closest circle of relationships, meaning for most of us, our families. And so I have a responsibility to love my wife, uh, love my children, love my grandchildren, 
to care for my mother-in-law, to uh, extend concern and, and care to my extended family. And so in all of these relationships, uh, we can fulfill our responsibility to Jesus by, uh, by, by, by recommitting to and by intensifying the devotion we have to family members. And then can I challenge you as you start a new year to fulfill your financial responsibilities? Um, it's a good time to begin a new year, to get a good grip on your budget, to refocus on your giving, to resolve the debt issues, to correct irresponsible spending. Uh, it's just a good time to make sure that we're being responsible in maybe one of the core issues or core areas of life, and that's dealing with our finances. So it's, at, it's Christmas, and that's a good thing. But now it's after Christmas, and that's a better thing because now we're moving away from the emotional intensity of meeting the Savior to the uh, daily responsibility of living in, under his lordship. And so I want you today to recognize that Christmas causes us all to shout, Hey, a child has been born. A Savior has come. But now it's after Christmas, and we move the focus to, and now a Lord is among us, and he demands our service our allegiance, and the fulfillment of our responsibilities to him as described in these Bible verses. Well, let's continue with what the Bible says, what happened after Christmas. Um, after Simeon uh, deals with the situation of meeting Jesus, another person, Anna, comes into the picture. It says in chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 36, There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God day, night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna is also there waiting for Jesus and models for us another important aspect of what we can do for Jesus after Christmas, and that is this. After Christmas, we must openly and publicly and boldly speak the truth about Jesus. Simeon spoke the truth about Jesus. He said he's the Savior for all people. He's come for the Gentiles. He said that Jesus would be controversial. He told Mary that uh, there would be a rising and a falling and people would be opposed to Jesus. And S Simeon said that Jesus would be the source of conviction as the thoughts of many hearts were revealed. But then building on that, Anna adds additional truth about Jesus. She thanked God for Jesus, recognizing uh, God as his source and, and actually recognizing in the way she said this, even the divinity of Jesus. And she prophesied that Jesus was coming as a redeemer, that he would grant redemption and be a source of redemption for all people. So Simeon starts by telling the truth about Jesus in some difficult, even controversial, even confrontational kind of ways. And then Anna underscores Jesus' divinity and his redemptive work and the reason or purpose that he's come, for which he's come. So this tells us that as a result of Christmas and after Christmas, we move forward speaking the truth about Jesus Christ. We speak the truth about who he is, what he's come to accomplish, and what that's going to mean in our lives as it, it introduces even some tension or conflict uh, as we try to live for him. G both Simeon and Anna help us understand that when we talk about Jesus, it may be difficult. Jesus, the baby in the manger, is loved and cherished and cared for and, and evokes many warm feelings. But Jesus 
as he came to be fully known, is much more controversial. You know, Christmas is kind of a safe zone for Christians. During the Christmas season, we can talk about Jesus openly and often. We can uh, share our faith. We can sing our faith. Uh, we can put up displays about our faith. And really, in some rare cases, these things are opposed. But for the most part, uh, particularly across the United States, for the most part, uh, the Christmas season is tolerated and, in fact, even enjoyed by people who have no real interest in Jesus. But as soon as Christmas is over, if you keep on talking about Jesus, you're going to find yourself being controversial. While it's a safe zone around Christmas to talk about Jesus, the rest of the year, not so much. As you talk about Jesus, he brings conviction into the lives of people. As you talk about Jesus, he, uh, he becomes controversial as they recognize that people have to make a decision about him one way or the other. As you talk about Jesus and share his redemptive work, uh, the hard reality that he's come to redeem people from their sin must be confronted. And uh, the even harder reality that people who reject Jesus Christ find themselves eternally separated from him. Uh, these things are controversial. They're controversial and difficult statements. And not only is Jesus controversial, but talking about him openly and often brings conviction to people around you. You know, I've been a pastor and ministry leader for a long time, and I've grown accustomed to this, but every now and then I'm still startled by the reality that just my presence and who I represent and what I speak about brings conviction uh, to people. Uh, sometimes when I visit in people's homes uh, and talk with them about Jesus Christ, they'll hide things from me. I remember once I went in, sat down to uh, have a visit with someone, and uh, <laughs> the first thing they did was uh, slide a magazine over a pornographic magazine that was on their coffee table. Uh, another time I went into a home and uh, they had a couple of beer cans sitting on the countertop, and as soon as I sat down with them, they, they just reached up and never stopped talking, but just slowly moved the cans down under the countertop and put them on a shelf. I didn't say anything at all to either of these people about pornography or about their alcohol consumption, but just the fact that I walked in the room and started talking about Jesus Christ caused a sense of conviction uh, to come over people. Now, these are illustrations that are somewhat superficial. I think there's much more serious examples of this in our culture. Uh, you mention Jesus in the workplace and you may be reprimanded or you may find yourself uh, being accused of some form of harassment. Uh, you mention Jesus in a public gathering, uh, like, for example, praying in the name of Jesus at a public event. And you may find yourself being criticized or, um, or, or corrected for having excluded others who might not, want of you, not, might not have wanted you to pray such a sectarian prayer. Uh, you share, you, you attempt to uh, talk about Jesus uh, and, and what he means in life and what his uh, lordship means in culture as we talk about issues like abortion and sexual morality and even in our day today, harassment and the proper treatment and respect for people in the workplace. And when you talk about these things, people react because they don't want to hear about how the gospel is applied in culture, especially when it contradicts how they want to live. So after Christmas, as you talk about Jesus, you may find yourself uh, dealing with more controversy than you might want to uh, handle, and you may find yourself being a source or an object of conviction uh, in the lives of other people. 
But that's really what Jesus is about and what talking with him is all about. It's about being willing to be controversial and about being willing to be a source of conviction in the lives of other people. You don't set out intentionally to do these things, but both Simeon and Anna, the first people who openly and publicly spoke about Jesus, uh, prophesied and revealed what it was going to be like for all the rest of us. When you say that Jesus is the Savior of the world and the only Savior of the world, you're going to be controversial and you're going to bring conviction. When you say that Jesus is the only God and that he's the only source of redemption, you can expect a reaction from people who want a more pluralistic, uh, if you will, watered-down version of religion to be handed out these days. So Jesus and what you may say about him, speaking the truth about him after Christmas, uh, may bring some difficulty uh, into your life. Well, as we look at this story of what happened after Christmas, we see that Jesus was brought to the temple in obedience to God, uh, named as a part of angelic revelation from God, and sacrifices were offered to God on his behalf. These people that brought Jesus to the temple fulfilled their responsibility to Jesus. And then these people who received him there, Simeon and Anna, both waiting there for the coming Messiah and then speaking prophetic words, yes, but then also speaking uh, words of direction and encouragement for all of us as we think about how we're going to speak up on behalf of Jesus. So Christmas has come and gone. I hope it was a really good celebration for you. I hope you and your family had a remarkable time. I hope the focus really was on Jesus and the Jesus of the manger who's come among us. It's an amazing and remarkable aspect of our faith to consider the fact that God came among us in the form of a helpless baby in an out-of-the-way obscure place, but that from that humble beginning, a movement has grown that now touches the world with the gospel. Well, I hope the focus of Christmas for you was on that moment in time. But now it's after Christmas. Hey, the tree has to come down. The wrapping paper has to be cleaned up. The decorations have to go back in the box. And uh, even at our house, the manger scenes have to be put away for another year. All the family has to go home. The leftovers get polished off. Life goes on. And so what is life going to be like now after Christmas? Well, after Christmas, I want you to take to, to fulfill your responsibilities to Jesus, and I want you to speak up boldly on his behalf. And as you go into this next year, I pray that those two things will mark the beginning of your year and really the continuation of your year as you live the life that God has called us to live post-Christmas, the rest of the year, uh, as we announce and tell the story of Jesus Christ. Well, thank you for joining me for the podcast this year. Uh, I've enjoyed doing it and plan on continuing it all through 2018. I've already mapped out the first six months of the podcast, the subjects, the themes, the ideas, and how I hope to develop those. Uh, the podcast has been well received. I've been quite frankly astounded by the number of people that come up to me as I travel around the country speaking and tell me that they're listening to it every week. So uh, blog about it, tweet about it, tell your friends about it, and let's make 2018 a fantastic year of learning more and more about what it means to be good leaders who advance God's kingdom all around the world. Well, thanks for hearing me today, and thanks for celebrating Christmas. I hope it was a good time for you. And now, particularly, thanks for your focus as you think about how you can fulfill your responsibilities and speak the truth about Jesus going forward. Hey, it's time to get busy. Lead on.